So I, I want to speak to you this morning from Ephesians chapter 6. We, we are coming to the end of our, of our letter to um, the Ephesians and um, we're going to take three weeks on this last section on the armour of God, on, on, on the spiritual battle that we are in and uh, I'm going to speak this morning, I'm going to give you a bit of an overview and then David, David's ministering this morning in, in St. Austell but He's going to speak to us next week on this subject, and then I'll wrap up our series on Ephesians in the third week um, as we draw this as we draw this to a close. Um, I hope you found it helpful. I know I have. <laughs> uh, I think Ephesians is a letter that is just full of truth and uh, full of application. And as as we've dug into it and dug into it uh, and read it many times, I know a number of you have been reading it through. Uh, that that this word transforms us as we as we live it out. Let's read it together. Um, Ephesians chapter uh, six, uh, verses ten to twenty-four. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. May God speak to us through this section of his word today. Paul is rounding up. He says here the word finally. Um, reminds me of Dave Barris when he's preaching and he gives us the finally and then secondly and finally and in conclusion. And uh, it gets there in the end. But Paul is saying finally. Uh, let me give you some final words. Uh, you Ephesians and you other believers that are reading this letter out uh, in your congregations. He's rallying the troops. He is giving the final instructions. He's drawing together all of his instructions as his and his encouragement to the believers that he's been sharing with them through this rich letter. Maybe you've seen, do you remember the, the film Braveheart with Mel Gibson riding up and down on his horse? And challenging his troops to have courage and uh, to be strong. And that one day they would lie in their beds and they would look back on this day of destiny. And that they must fight with courage. They must stand against the enemy. And we hear Braveheart's rallying cry to the troops as he goes up and down on his horse. And he speaks to them and he, 
and he challenges them. That's what Paul is doing here. Or do you remember Colonel Tim Collins, that speech that he gave on the eve of the Iraq war that was recorded and put out there as he rallied the troops and he said, we're, we're going into battle and we're going to face the enemy and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be challenging, but I want you to be strong and I want you to be courageous and I want you to fight well. And he gave this rousing speech, this uh, Colonel Tim Collins, which became viral. But what about the many leaders, military and political, that have rallied and encouraged hearts that are, that are failing with fear and that look at the insurmountable odds? There have been moments of, of great courage given, great speeches given. Think of, of Churchill's speeches in the Second World War and, and this challenging of a nation that was on its knees in the face of a strong enemy. Or perhaps we remember God's words to, to Joshua as he stands on the cusp of the promised land, a young leader, and Moses is dead. His, his, his mentor, his, his hero, the, the guy that he watched go into the tent and, and whose face shone with the glory of God, the, the one that brought down the tablets, the one that had led them out of Egypt, he was gone and, and Joshua was, was afraid. As he looked at this promised land and as he led the people of Israel and God came to him and he said, Joshua, I want you to be strong and I want you to be courageous and I want you to stand. I want you to lead this people into the promised land that I have for you, Joshua. And God says over and over again to Joshua, be strong and be very courageous. Why do you think God said that to Joshua? Because he was quaking in his boots, <laughs> because he was afraid. Because he looked at the odds, he looked across at the promised land, he looked at all of the enemies, he looked at himself, he knew his own weaknesses, he knew who he was. And, and God comes and stiffens his spine and speaks to his heart and tells him to be courageous. He encourages him, he gives him courage. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's spoken of the fact that we have a life in Christ. He's told us that we're called. He's told us that we are chosen. He's told us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's told us of our inheritance. He's told us of the love of God for us. He's told us of all the riches that we have at our disposal. He's told us of how we've been brought from death to life. How we've been raised up with Christ. How we've been brought into one body, the Gentiles and the Jews. How the dividing wall of hostility is gone. How Christ has died for us and resurrected us and raised us up. He's told us all of these things. But now he says, as he says finally, he says, it's not going to be plain sailing. He's told us how to live as husbands and wives. He's told us how to live as employers and employees. He's given us these codes of conduct. But he says it's not going to be plain sailing. It's not going to be easy. This is not some version of the Stepford Wives. You're not going to all just walk through life happily and at ease. He says this is war. We are in a war. We are in a battle with the enemy of our souls. And as he comes up with this finally speech and he challenges them and he's giving them his, his rallying cry as he's in chains, chained to a Roman soldier. As he looks at this Roman soldier, probably inspired to start to give this metaphorical uh, picture of what it's like to stand as a soldier of Jesus Christ. 
And he gives us three commands which we're just going to look through this morning and then perhaps dig into a little bit more in the next couple of weeks. But he gives them three imperatives. He says, first of all, I want you to be strong. Be strong, is what he tells them. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Secondly, he tells them to put on the full armor of God. And thirdly, he tells them to stand. Those are the three things that Paul tells them as, as he's facing the end of his battle, as he's in chains for the gospel. He's told them of all these soaring, glorious truths and doctrines. He's, he's lifted their hearts. He's encouraged them. But now he says, we're in a battle. We're in a war here. And so I want you to do three things. I want you to be strong. I want you to be courageous. I want you to put on your armor. And I want you to stand in the day of evil. First of all, be strong. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, be strong in your own strength and in the power of your might. He doesn't say, be strong in your knowledge and your wisdom and your intellectual capabilities and your abilities. He doesn't say, be strong by trying harder and clenching your teeth and just keeping going. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, he's already told them about the mighty power of God. He's told them in chapter 1, verse 19. He's, he's spoken to them about this power. He said, I, I pray that your, your heart may, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you would know his incomparably great power for us who believe this power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. That, that's the power of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in this mighty power that I've been telling you about, Paul says. And he's prayed for them. He's prayed for them that they will know this power, that they will live in the reality of it. He's prayed that they would live in the reality of the power that raised Christ from the dead and is at work in every believer. And it's the same power that the Apostle Peter wrote about, this failed and restored disciple and spiritual leader who writes his letter and says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Elsewhere, Paul writes of his own weakness, not strength, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Elsewhere, Paul says of his weakness, of his own struggles, <coughs> of his thorn in the flesh, of his inability to manage this. He says, as he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12, he says three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, my power, this is God speaking, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Be strong, Paul says. This is Paul writing here to the Corinthians. I am weak. I know my weakness. 
I know my thorn in the flesh. I know I've asked God to take it away. But God's strength, God's power is made perfect in my weakness. And when I am weak, then I am strong. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And elsewhere, he writes to the Colossians, Paul, and he says, that's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. The Greek is agonize. I agonize according to his energy that is at work, his power that is at work in me. I try and work out what God works in me, his power, his strength, his glory. Why do you think the Bible tells us so much to be strong and to be courageous and not to fear? Because we face an enemy. We're in a spiritual battle. And his metier is fear and intimidation. We are at war. It's not easy. No one said it would be. But you need to know this morning that the power of God is at your disposal. You need to remember that the Holy Spirit is in you. You need to remind yourself that you are not just a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror through Christ who loved you and gave himself up for you. You need to remind yourself that this is not your strength that ultimately counts, but it is the strength of the Lord and his mighty power, his power that raised Christ from the dead. And yes, there are agonies. And yes, we do agonize. There is weakness. There is struggle. But courage and steadfastness is required. But you have the God of the angel armies on your side. The God of the angel armies. I love the passage in uh, 1 Samuel where David comes against Goliath, facing this huge monster of a man and all of his weapons. And David says to Goliath, You come against me with sword and with spear and with javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. (laughs) What a great speech that is. (laughs) Little David with his sling and his stone and he's looking at this array of weaponry. He's looking at the shield and he's looking at the javelin. He's looking at the, the weaponry that this giant of a man has. And he says, but you're coming to me with your weapons. You're coming to me with human weaponry and human attack. But I'm standing in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the angel armies. He's on our side. He's on our side. And he will defeat you. And today I'm going to chop your head off. (laughs) He didn't say that in his own strength. He said that in the strength of God. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't be strong in your own strength, but be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's the same power that was made available to Gideon, who was hiding in a wine press from the Midianites, who were attacking Israel. He wasn't feeling strong and brave and mighty. He was hiding in a wine press, hiding from the enemy. And God speaks to him and he says, mighty warrior, mighty man of strength, mighty man of God and and Gideon's looking around him seeing who God is speaking to because he ain't speaking to me because I'm no mighty warrior I'm quaking in my boots at the thought of the enemy 
But God says, I'm going to do it, Gideon. In fact, I'm going to get rid of all of your soldiers. I'm going to get rid of your thousands. I'm going to get rid of your ability and your own strength to defeat the enemy. I'm going to strip it all away, Gideon. And I'm going to reduce you down to a few hundred men and a few pots and pans. And you're going to defeat the enemy in the strength and the power of God. In the power that's made available to you by God. And again and again and again, the Bible says and the Bible dictates and the Bible shows that it is the strength of God, the power of God that gives us the victory. So we are to be strong in the Lord. We are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Another time David was at Ziklag and the enemies had stripped the camp and taken away their wives and their children and all of their goods. And the people turned against David and wanted to stone him because they were so distraught at what had happened. You, David, you led us into this mess. You've got us into this mess, David. And and they turned on him and they wanted to kill him. And so he's lost his wife and he's lost his kids and he's lost the camp and he's lost the dressing room and he's lost his people. And it says, and David went and strengthened himself in the Lord. (laughs) David went and strengthened himself in the Lord. And when we go and we close our door and we get down on our knees and we pray and we strengthen ourselves in the Lord and in the power of his might, this is where we get our strength from. Strength will rise as we wait on the Lord. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. This is where our strength comes from. And Paul says, finally, troops, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then looking at this Roman soldier sat next to him, chained next to him, he gets a flash of inspiration and he starts to build this metaphor of what it is to be in battle with the enemy of our souls. He says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. This is not a human War. This is, we're not fighting against people, Paul says. We're fighting against demonic forces. We're fighting against the powers and the, and the dark forces and evil forces of this world. We're fighting against, the, in this heavenly realm, this realm of spiritual reality, when we're dealing with some of these issues, we're not dealing with people, we're dealing with demonic forces. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against these rulers, these authorities, these powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. And that's his second command. As well as be, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes or the devil's wiles, as one version says. The Greek is methodia, against the devil's methods. He's got his methodology so that you can stand against the devil's wiles, his methods, his schemes. He is cunning. Our enemy is cunning. He is powerful. He is deceitful. But God has not left us defenseless. He has given us weapons of warfare, And as Paul reminds the Corinthians, he says, be prepared. Oh, this is is the the message version of, of the Ephesians passage. He says, be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. 
So take up all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you will still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You will need them throughout your life. And Paul says, as he writes to the Corinthians, he says, the weapons that we fight with, they are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. There's this divine power again. We are to put on the armor of God. But it is the armor of God, it's his divine power that overcomes the enemy. And Paul then outlines the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. The belt of truth, the truth, this is the truth of the gospel, first of all. It's the truth that we preach. There are many lies that are, that are passed around the world in which we live. There are many lies that become fabric of our society. And the belt of truth that holds together our armor is the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of the word of God that we preach. But it is also truth in our sincerity and our sincerity of heart. And John Stott says, we don't need to choose between those two things, between the truth of the gospel and and truth of character and truth and sincerity of life. He says, we don't need to choose between these two alternatives. As one commentator writes, Some by truth mean a truth of doctrine. Others will have it the truth of heart, sincerity. They, I think, best that comprise both. One will not do without the other. You know, Satan is, as we've looked in the past week, Satan is the father of lies. His metier is lying. He is a liar from the beginning. He was, we read in John, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's, in, it's consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So how do we overcome the enemy of our souls? We overcome the enemy and his lies with the truth. The truth of the gospel, the truth of a life well lived, the truth of our words and our actions. Truth is a powerful weapon against the father of lies. Satan and his powers have always dealt in deception and delusion and lies. The way to counter that, the way to guard ourselves, is to speak the truth of the gospel, is to speak the truth of doctrine, is to speak the truth of the word of God, and it's to be truthful and sincere. Paul's written about truth throughout this letter, and Satan here hates, hates, transparent truth and we are to put on as well as the belt of truth we're to put on the breastplate of righteousness now righteousness is in in a previous letter Paul has written about the breastplate of faith and he's written about the breastplate of love but here as in Isaiah 59 he speaks of a breastplate that is one of righteousness it's a right relationship with God And righteousness, as John Stott writes, righteousness in Paul's letters more often than not means justification. That is God's gracious initiative in putting sinners right with himself through Jesus Christ. Our breastplate of righteousness is the fact 
that Jesus has died for us on the cross. He has forgiven our sins. He has made us right with God. He has imputed to us. He has given to us his righteousness. He has placed that around us like a shield. We are right with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. To have been justified by his grace through simple faith in Christ crucified is to be clothed with a righteousness which is not our own but Christ's. It's to stand before God not condemned but accepted. This is an essential defense against an accusing conscience and against the slanderous attacks of the evil one whose Hebrew name Satan means adversary and whose Greek name Diabolos or devil means slanderer. So there is now therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who shall condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God. He he is the one who intercedes for us. This is our Christian assurance of righteousness. That is a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is a strong breastplate that will protect us against satanic accusations. So when we are accused, I had had a lady ring the church this week. She said, I think think I've committed the unpardonable sin. I I think I'm beyond salvation. I, I think I'm beyond hope. And as we face the accusations of the devil, the lies of the devil against us, against our character, against who we are, Paul has reminded us of who we are in Christ and whose we are, that we are chosen and adopted and and that we are redeemed and that we are forgiven. We have this breastplate of righteousness that defends our heart before God and before our accuser, before the diabolos, before the devil, before the slanderer, the one that will call you and accuse you. We are right with God because of Jesus Christ. But we are also to have the breastplate of righteousness, which is our right acts, which is why the Bible says, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. It's why the Bible says, and Paul says to the Roman believers, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good, with righteous acts, with righteous acts. Do the right thing. And that is a, is a defense for your heart. It's a, it's a breastplate of righteousness. So it is both justification, the forgiveness of Christ, and it is also us living right and overcoming evil with good. It is the completeness of pardon for past offenses and integrity of character woven together to form an impenetrable shield. And then we have to have our shoes our shoes of the gospel, our feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And this covers two things. It covers a steadfastness, a firm-footed stability, and a readiness to share the gospel. The Amplified Version says, with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. We are solid-footed. We are on solid ground as we have our feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel. There's a stability in living out the gospel life, in living out our faith in God. As we stand on the solid rock of Christ, it is a solidity of our faith and it is a readiness, being on our tiptoes, readiness to share 
the faith in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. We did a couple of times we taught the, the walk across the room series. But always be ready to give a reason for the hope. Always be ready to share your faith. Have your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And this is both steadfastness and standing firm. And it is also a readiness and a preparedness to share our faith with others. And then Paul speaks of the shield of faith. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. All the flaming arrows of the evil one. What are some of the arrows, the flaming arrows that have been shot at you recently? Is it discouragement? Is it anger? Is it accusation? Is it lies? Is it, is it despondency? Is it, is it lust? Is it, is it accusations of, of others? Accusations of Satan against you? The, 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 all of the flaming arrows. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Whatever Satan can fire at you. It's faith. It's faith in God that extinguishes the, those things. It is trust in God and in his word. It is, I am who the Bible says I am. It is, I can do what the Bible says I can do. I will stand in the strength of the Lord and in the power of his might. It's faith in God that extinguishes these fiery darts that are being fired at you. It's faith in him. It's taking him at his word. We've been reading the Psalms in the morning and we read there that his, his faithfulness is a shield around us. It's the shield of faith. It's an all-encompassing shield that surrounds us and protects us. As we take God at his word, Satan has always said, always said, did God really say? That's how he spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. Has God really said? And the answer to that is God has said. That's what Jesus did in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan. He said, it is written. It is written. He, he, he conquered these fiery uh, darts that were being fired at him. Faith is our shield. And God's faithfulness is a shield around us. And then there is the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Take the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation is the hope of salvation. It's, it's right thinking. It's, it's what we've been looking at in these past few weeks. That we, that we believe the right things, that we think the right things, that we think gospel thoughts. This is our hope of our salvation. It protects our minds. It lifts our heads. And also we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We read uh, in Hebrews, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and our desires. We're going to look in the next couple of weeks probably a little bit more into the armor of God and some of these specifics. But this is the second command of Paul. First of all, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Secondly, he says, make sure that you've got your armor on. Make sure that you are living in truth. Make sure that you're living with integrity, but make sure that you are living in the gospel truth of who you are and whose you are. And make sure that you have on the breastplate of righteousness, 
that you know that you are right with God because of what Christ has done for you, but also that you, you dwell in the land and you do good and you overcome evil with good and you do right things and you act rightly and you act justly and you overcome evil with good and you have on you then the breastplate of righteousness. You have with you the shield of faith. You have with you the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It is written. It is written. You fill your mind and your heart with the words and the truth of God. You have on your helmet of salvation, your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Put on the full armor of God so that, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against all of these rulers, these authorities, these spiritual forces. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything else, to stand. And finally, what Paul does here is he tells them to stand, to take their stand. I don't know what you're facing today, but this is what the Lord says. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then in verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything else, to stand. And verse 14, stand firm then. Four times Paul says, stand. Just stand your ground. Just keep standing in the strength of the Lord. Martin Luther knew what this was about as he stood up against the notion that you could earn your salvation by doing penance, by whipping yourself, by putting on rough clothing, by doing your own acts of justice, by paying money to the Catholic Church so that they would absolve you from your sins. And, and Martin Luther stood, and he stood against really these demonic forces, these demonic truths, and he said, the just shall live by faith. You put your faith in God, that will make you right with God. And he stood and he nailed his theses to the door at Wittenberg. And when challenged to renounce what he had done, to renounce what he had said, to take it back, these theses that he'd nailed to the door of the church, when the powers of all of the powers of evil came against him at that time and all of the earthly powers of the Catholic Church and all of the threats that were issued against him, he stood and he said, unless I am convinced by proofs from scripture or by plain and clear reason and arguments, I can and will not retract. For it is neither safe nor wise to do anything against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. That's what Luther said as he stood that, that day and it was hard on him. He, he went into deep depressions. And uh, he would hide himself in his room at the castle at Wartburg. He stood against all of these things. But he, he said, here I stand. I can't do anything else. Here I stand. So help me God. And Martin brought my attention to the film, The Bridge of Spies. And in The Bridge of Spies, Tom Hanks is a lawyer, an American lawyer, that is brought in to defend a Russian spy, a potential Russian spy, but to make sure he gets a fair hearing in the American court system. It's a true story. 
And it preceded the exchange of two spies in the Cold War, the Russians and the Americans, and they exchanged these spies on this bridge. Uh, but Tom Hanks was involved with him. And, he, and as, a, as a lawyer that wanted to do the right thing, even though there was great pressure because this was Russia and this was the Cold War and this was a Russian spy, he still said, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to make sure this guy gets a fair hearing. I'm going to make sure that, he, that justice is done. I'm going to stand and I'm going to do the right thing. Even though it's costing me, it's costing my family, it's costing me, it's costing everything I've got, it's costing me professionally. It would have been easy to give up. It would have been easy to, uh, to, to bend a little. And in this conversation between the Russian spy who's in his cell and the lawyer, Rudolf Abel, the, the spy, says, standing there, says to Tom Hanks, Standing there like that, you reminded me of the man that used to come to our house when I was young. My father used to say, watch this man. So I did every time he came. And never once did he do anything remarkable. And so James Donovan, Tom Hanks, says, and I remind you of him? <laughs> never once did he do anything remarkable. And Rudolf Abel, the spy, says, this one time I was at the age of your son, our house was overrun by partisan border guards, dozens of them. And my father was beaten. And my mother was beaten. And this man, my father's friend, he was beaten. And I watched this man, and every time they hit him, he stood back up again. And so they hit him harder, and still he got back to his feet. And I think because of that, they stopped the beating. They let him live. Stoiki music, I remember them saying which sort of means standing man. He was the standing man. After you have done everything else, Paul says, stand. Stand your ground. Stand in the strength of the Lord. Stand against the wiles of the enemy. Remember, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against principalities and powers. But after everything you've done, stand. Be the standing man. Remember those old Rocky movies? <laughs> Where he was down on the canvas and you were willing him to get up. It's like, get up, get up, stand. And Paul says again and again as he writes to all of these Christians facing all the stuff they're facing, all the different churches that he's writing to, sometimes as he's in chains himself. He says as he writes to the Corinthians and all of their mess that their church is in, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He writes to the Philippians and he says to them, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He writes again elsewhere to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong. And elsewhere to the Philippians, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. We're called to stand. And as Paul is giving his rallying cry, as he's saying, finally, after I've shared all of this truth with you, all of this doctrine, as we've gone down to the, the ground level of the house rules and, and living this out in your home and your workplace, 
I was talking to someone before the service this morning, facing the reality of this, spiritual battles in the workplace. The reality of what we face sometimes and the things that we're dealing with. Uh, uh, but, but we are called <laughs> as ambassadors to Christ. Jesus rallies us. He's, he's the mighty warrior. He's the one that's dressed for battle. He's the glorious Lord. He is our commanding officer. He's the one that calls to us. And, and what Paul is saying here, he's saying, uh, yeah, you are called. You are chosen. You are Adopted, you're in the family of God. You're a child of God. You are sealed with the Spirit. You have got a glorious inheritance. You've got all of this stuff, good, good stuff going on, but I am telling you, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a battle. You are in a spiritual war. And so I'm telling you, be strong. But don't be strong in your own strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Secondly, Paul says, I'm telling you, put on your armor. Make sure you've got it on. Make sure you have got on the armor of God and put it on every day and live in it and the reality of it. And thirdly, Paul says, I'm telling you, after you've done everything else, stand. Stand and keep standing. Be the standing man. Be the standing woman. Let's pray. Lord, we have spoken this morning again of your mighty power. We've prayed for your mighty power. And we pray, Lord, that we would stand and be strong in the Lord and in your mighty power. We pray, Lord, that we would be reminded afresh this morning that he who is with us and for us is greater than he that is in the world. I pray, Lord, like the ancient prophet that prayed for his servant, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see all of these angel armies around us. Let him see who's on our side. I pray this morning that we would remember, God, that we are more than conquerors through Christ, who has loved us and died for us. We have on this morning a righteousness that is not our own, it's given to us by Christ. We have with us a faith that can and does deflect the fiery darts of the evil one. We have the word of God. We have prayer. We have truth. We have the gospel. Lord, and I pray that we would use these things, these weapons that are not carnal, but they are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. I pray like David, Lord, stood facing Goliath, that whatever we stand and face today, whatever circumstance, whatever challenge, at work, at home, Lord, wherever it may be, that, Lord, though the weapons that are formed against us, they may seem formidable, but, God, we have you on our side. We have the God of the angel armies, and we want to come not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. And David, who'd seen the bear beaten and he'd seen uh, the lion beaten, he knew that this giant was no, no opposition to God. And so, God, we pray that you will give us great courage and great strength this morning to stand in your strength with your weaponry 
and that we will see great victories in the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen.